Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Well, I want to talk a little bit about power, that each of us has power. And we have power to influence the little world in which we live, or the bigger world in which we live, or the huge world in which we live. And there is a Christian way of using power, and that's what we want to see on display uh, in what we look at this morning. But I like to say there are, I'm a seminary professor, so I get by with this, I like the four prepositions connected to power. Okay, four prepositions. We all have power to, to influence. And that's the basic meaning of the word power, the power to make something happen. And then some people use that power to influence to become power to dominate, to overpower, to overwhelm. That's power over. Christians have taken this sense of power, Jesus in particular, and shifted it away from power over. When the disciples were asking Jesus a question, you know, when we get to the kingdom, uh, can one of us be on the left and one on the right? Our mother asked us to ask. You know, we're asking for a friend. <laughs> just depends whether you read Matthew or Mark. And, and Jesus just blitzes them and says, this is the way the Romans act. Not so among us. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. This changes power, the power dynamic for those who follow Jesus. From power to and power over to power with. So that we share power together because we're in it for what God can do through us. And not only that, we learn a deeper Christian sense is that it becomes power for another. We give other people power. We transfer people from our platform. Or we move from our platform and we give them our platform in order to share power, but to give them that power. And the only way parents learn... Uh, from their teenagers for kids to grow up and become adults. I think there's a verb now created by somebody called adulting, <laughs> which isn't a verb. My father was an English teacher and he said, we have verbs for that, it's called mature. <laughs> so, but, but the only way children grow to become adults is to enable them to make their own decisions, right? We learned this. And this is what Christian power is all about. It's the capacity to use the power we have for the good of another. Now, there is an incredible drama about this in the New Testament. It's in a little letter that Paul wrote to a man in Colossae, which is a beautiful village in Western Asia Minor that has never been dug archaeologically. So now it's only a hill. And when I take students to Turkey, only our bus goes to Colossi because nobody else goes there because there's nothing to see except this green hill. And so Melissa has been to Colossi. And we all take a picture in front of the little sign that says Colossi. 
That's how they get people there. But they really don't want you there. And this is where Philemon was. And he was a, a wealth, probably a wealthy man. And Paul writes a letter to him uh, that we call Philemon, Paul's letter to Philemon. And we want to look at this this morning in, I hope, um, an innovative and uh, exciting and fun way. But it was a drama of power, a power drama. It begins with Philemon. So I'd like to say a little bit about Philemon himself. He is a householder in Colossae, which in the first century was a significant city in Western Asia Minor. He may be married to two people who are mentioned here, Aphia and maybe Archippus was his son. Now, some people know these things, but they know too much because all it says is Aphia and Archippus. It doesn't say that's his wife, and it doesn't say that's his son. But some scholars know these things, and you just have to smile at them with a Mona Lisa smile <laughs> and pretend that they're intelligent, <laughs> and they will give you their goods. But these are two people connected to Philemon, and Onesimus, uh, or Philemon, is a convert of Paul. So he has become a believer in Jesus through the ministry of Paul. Now that ministry of Paul probably was not by Paul himself, but through his student named Epaphras, who seems to have planted the churches, this is called the Lycus Valley, in Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. These are the three cities in that area where there were churches. The church meets in Philemon's home. A church, a house church in the first century, of course, depended on how big the house was, right? Okay. And some house churches were very small because they were in tenements or apartment buildings, second floor, third floor, fourth floor, and people would be sitting on the floor, and it wasn't very comfortable, and there wasn't much space, and there was no screen. There wasn't even an NIV yet, so it was really difficult to know how to read the Bible without an NIV. And it could be a domus, of the Latin word for a larger home, where they could be meeting in the atrium, which would be a, a room, maybe a, a space about as big as one uh, about the, uh, this area on this side. And in the middle would have been a pool of water that drained from the roof into the middle. And so ready for baptism for Presbyterians, because it wasn't that deep for Baptists. Um, but um, it, they would have been sitting around. So this is, a, this is an intimate gathering when this letter arrives. Paul calls him, however, a co-worker. Now this is Paul's favorite term for those leaders in the early church who actually participated in his mission. He didn't use this term for a lot of people, but he did use it for fellow leaders in the gospel mission that he was conducting. And he is a close friend of Paul. And the NIV, translated as it is by men, softens the words that Paul uses about intimacy. It says to Philemon, our dear friend, you could translate this, makes men uncomfortable, to Philemon, the one I love. But that's a little too much, so we'll make him a friend. 
But Paul never uses the word friend for any of his uh, friends. He never once uses that word. And that's the NIV. And that's what we can say about that. (laughs) Philemon, this is where it gets serious. As the drama begins with him, he's an owner of slaves. And we have to recognize this reality to understand how this letter works in the first century because it was a dynamic experiment in whether these Christians could actually unite and gather together and welcome one another and unite in fellowship. So Paul is sending this letter to Philemon. Now behind this letter are some things that Paul has been teaching. And it's, it's one thing to teach these things It's another thing to do this in in the word that is very popular here this morning, embodied ways. Very difficult. So Paul had written Galatians 3.28 before this. For in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. This is big to say that for a Jew in the first century who grew up thinking that they are the elect people of God. There is in Christ neither Jew nor Greek And there is neither slave or free. Now, he could have said slave or citizen. But he talks instead about a more common experience of slaves being set free. And then he quotes from Genesis chapter 1, male and female. For they are all one in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful idea? As C.S. Lewis once said about forgiveness, forgiveness is such a lovely thing until you have something to forgive. Right? So unity in Christ is such a wonderful thing until it's your neighbor, until it's someone you don't like, of the other political party or the other theological stripe, or went to the wrong school, or believes the wrong things, according to you. So it's difficult. And this is the challenge in Colossians 3.11, which is a letter that could have been sent with this letter to Philemon, In that letter, Paul said something very similar, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And then he adds, barbarian or Scythian. Now, you know what a barbarian is? That's a Minnesota Viking fan. (laughs) And you know what a Scythian is? That's a Green Bay Packer fan. Right? 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 Okay. Because we're bear fans, at least today. Maybe through tomorrow as well. And in Colossians chapter 4, 1, Paul began to instruct slaves and masters, and he began to call them to a Christian way in the Christian household. So the drama is thickened because of Paul's teaching. He's writing to Philemon, who's a slave owner, and he's going to set him up, and he has a theology at work of unity, but how does this look when you actually embody it? It's nice to write about it, put it on the screen, tell everybody that you believe in it, it's much more difficult actually to accomplish. Now the drama gets really thick. Onesimus is a slave, and he has evidently run away. So I'd like to talk a little bit about a slave in the first century. 30% of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. 30%. Some people say 50, but they're, 
I'm pretty sure they're exaggerating, but this is a number that has really stood out to me. In the city of Rome, right in the forum, 250,000 slaves were put on the market every year with a sign around their neck that described their strengths and weaknesses so that the purchaser would know what he was getting. Onesimus comes from that world, and this letter is speaking into that world, and it will deconstruct it in important ways. Slavery in the first century was not connected to race. You couldn't even tell slaves from regular people in the Roman Empire, ordinary people, poor people, the dominant class of the society, by their clothing. You could only know by the words that they would use. So Onesimus is a slave. Now, it has been a custom in the church to minimize slavery in the first century so we can save our Bible from that world. We don't need that. We need to face the truth. Slavery, by definition, this is by the world's great scholar on slavery, Keith Bradley, is a means of securing and maintaining an involuntary labor force by a group in society which monopolizes political and economic power. That's a slave. A slave is someone owned by someone with power. What happens to a slave owner's power when he becomes a Christian? That's the challenge of this letter. What will he do with that power when he meets the gospel and meets a challenge of Paul? Most slaves in the first century were born into slavery, hence the value of female slaves. Some, of course, were captured and some were bought, but most, were, most of them were purchased. A family life for a slave was totally dependent upon the character of the slave owners. If you had a good slave owner, a person with good character, you were treated well. And there are entire essays and books written in the ancient world by slave owners on how to get maximum benefit out of your slaves, and one of the great, the, the great lessons they learned was you have to treat them kindly. And if you treat them well, they will, they will work harder for you. If you are mean, you will be in trouble. So there's, this is the world uh, that Paul is writing into. Male slaves, and this is known to all African Americans in our society today, Male slaves, by Roman law, never became men. They always remained boys. Hence, our absolute shock at times when we first realize that you don't use that word for African-American males in our society today. Because that law from Rome passed into the New World and became characteristic of New World slavery with Thomas Jefferson, etc. So this is the world of Onesimus. This is the world of Philemon. And this is the world into which Paul is going to challenge the power of a slave owner. 
Philemon is from Colossae, as I mentioned already. And, he prob- and Onesimus also is from there. And he probably ran away to escape freedom. Now, there's a little bit of an issue here. There is no resolution, but since I've written about this, there is a resolution. <laughs> All right, why did he run away? There are several options, but the two basic options today is that he ran away because he wanted to escape. That's called a fugitive. In Latin, a fugitivus. Others have suggested, however, that he ran away in order to find an advocate, Paul, to have a grievance that he could bring to Philemon because Philemon was, or Onesimus wasn't getting his grievance met. That's called an arrow. Fugitivus or arrow. I think the balance of evidence slightly favors that he's a runaway, a fugitive, um, but uh, those who uh, offer the alternative interpretation, I will not argue with. You can go ahead and believe that. Um, it's very difficult to prove. Any, either one of them, they're both, they can both explain everything in this letter. Onesimus is converted evidently after he's run away. So he meets the Apostle Paul. How he met him, we don't know, but he meets him. And in this situation, he is converted to Christ. And now Paul says he has become a useful worker. The Greek word Onesimus means useful. It's not a very cool name to have. There were lots of Onesimuses running around Western Asia Minor in the first century. Sort of like calling your son handyman. That's the general worker. That's all it means. But Paul plays on this and says in this letter that he has become useful both to you and to me. So now he he uses this term. And he's become faithful. But Paul even says in this letter that this man, Onesimus, has become his very heart. He loves this man. And now he wants to see a new situation occur in Philemon's household, and he wants to challenge Philemon to use his power for the sake of the gospel. So he sends him back into the power of Philemon. Now there's one more thing I want to do before we look at this letter, and it's this. Philemon wasn't written so it could be put in your Bible. It was an actual letter that was delivered in an actual home and actually read in order to get Philemon to respond to Paul's letter. And when this letter was read, it wasn't read, um, it wasn't read haltingly. It wasn't read, uh, it wasn't read uh, trying to figure out what's going on. This letter was probably memorized by the performer of the letter and his name could have been Tychicus because he seems to be the one who is reading the letter to the Colossians so many people think Tychicus was the letter reader he would have performed it he probably didn't even look at notes he came in there and he had been coached by Paul now Paul Paul says to um, Tychicus when you read this first sentence you look Philemon in the eyes with compassion and when you read this line make sure you look at all of Onesimus' friends 
because they're going to be pumped. They want to know what's going to happen to this guy. He ran away, put them in trouble, and they want to know if he's going to be welcome because if he's welcome, they're welcome, and if he's not welcome, they're in big trouble, and they might think about being fugitives. So this becomes a very tense moment between Philemon's side and Onesimus' side. I put the majority over here because I want you to win. (laughs) So the gospel is a revolution in households with respect to power, and the time for decision is now. Now, I've asked two people to come forward to be cheerleaders in in this event. And Jade is going to come forward here. She's going to be on Onesimus' side. <laughs> and this is Philemon. And this is, this is Onesima, the Latin, the, the feminine name. And as this letter is going to be as read, the audience didn't sit there like Anglicans. <laughs> you know, and this is the biggest response you get out of an Anglican. These were charismatic, assembly of God, you know, they're going to let it rip. And they did not say amen in the first century. They said dilly dilly. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if they will say this or not, but don't get me in trouble. All right, we're leaving town. Okay. So as this letter was read, Tychicus comes into the house and he announces that we have a letter from the Apostle Paul for Philemon and for Aphia and for Archippus and for the the church that meets in their house. So they're all gathered together. Maybe they had to wait till the evening for this to happen. And I think Paul is probably in Ephesus. So this is a a three-day walk that Tychicus makes with a few others to read this letter. And he's ready, and he's pumped, and he's worried. And Onesimus is probably with him when they come in. Right? Now, I have friends who think Onesimus read the letter. Now, that's really weird. That would really, he'd have to change a lot of persons and subjects and verbs and everything to make it work. But that's a possibility. And that would have really put the pressure on Philemon from Paul. So I'm going to sort of perform the letter the way Tychicus did. I'm right now suffering a little bit from vertigo. So if I fall over, I'm okay. All right? I, I'm okay, but uh, no, I'm going to, I got to move around. You know, I'm a, okay, I'm not an Anglican today. I'm a, okay, so I'm going to read it, and, and you're going to try to think how Philemon's side would respond to this. Oohs and ahs. They didn't sit there. They went, ooh, they went, ah. They went, all right, good. Dilly dilly. And uh, they responded, and both sides are going to be responding and ooing and aahing as the letter goes through. Paul starts out, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Now, you didn't do a thing here. Wait a minute now. (laughs) Paul, Paul never... She's ready. Paul never addresses, calls himself a prisoner at the beginning of a letter. He's in prison, so we want some empathy. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's not bad. That's not bad. You'll you'll get more charismatic as we go through this. To Philemon, our dear friend. And fellow worker. 
also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. That's pretty good. This is fast. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We all like this. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. No. This in, in Latin rhetoric is called captatio benevolente. It's called stroke at his ego. <laughs> he's set up. He's, he's going to be surprised. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now, I'll tell you what Paul just did here. He just gave his whole letter in abstract terms. Nobody knows exactly what that meant, except Paul and Tychicus and Onesimus. Everybody else is wondering, what does partnership with us in the faith? This just sounds like theological jargon to me. Your love, he says, has given me great joy and encouragement. Because you, brother... <laughs> have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now listen to that expression, refreshed your hearts. You remember this. Therefore, drum roll, although in Christ, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, which is a way of saying, I'm not going to tell you you have to do this, but I'm going to tell you, and that's telling you you have to do this. <laughs> right? It's rhetorically smooth. This is a parental trick. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what time you have to be home, but Christians get home at 11 o'clock. <laughs> And guilt follows Christians who get home at 11.30. And angry parents meeting you at the door. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner, that I appeal to you, now listen to this, for my son Onesimus. This is this word, my son. Now, this, this word son is not the typical word translated son. It's the word Paul uses for child. But it's the child that Paul gives birth to in the faith and nurtures along to become a servant in the church. Technon is the Greek word rather than huios for those of you who went to Moody. <laughs> and pay attention to Greek words which you should do. Okay, that I appeal to my son Onesimus. So he's appealing for him now. Now all of a sudden, everybody on this side is a little irritated because his running away cost them money. 
And the other slaves in the house, it cost them status and acceptance and welcome. So he's put pressure on them. Paul has just affirmed publicly that Onesimus is a very special person to him, publicly, in this house. And he became my son while I was in chains. So in prison, Paul somehow leads Onesimus to Christ. Now that is an interesting, how he got connected to Paul in prison is another story. It, it can have some explanations. Formerly, he was useless to you. Come on, now, wait a minute. You didn't respond to this. You're going, yeah, for sure. We all know about it. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is becoming useful both to you and to me. So there's some upgrading of his status here. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel so Philemon has been good with Paul with the gospel and now Onesimus can take his place that is the transfer of power from from Philemon to Onesimus and he now has status with the Apostle Paul but I did not want to do anything without your consent <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that an amazing statement I mean come on you just said I could tell you what to do and you're going to tell him what to do but now you just want to make it sound just right so that any favor that you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. <laughs> I want you to choose the right thing, and this is the right thing to choose. That's his language. Perhaps, this, this expression right here, perhaps, is Paul almost becoming a Calvinist, but he can't quite go all the way because he's going to explain something here of why this has happened in divine providence. Perhaps... The reason he was separated from you, in other words, ran away, but now he explains it as some act of God on the divine stage. Perhaps he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. That's an interesting expression. Now, because he is a son, a child of God, he is now someone who can live forever. Now, this is, this is the most radical statement that Paul makes. It's like Galatians 3.28. It's like Colossians 3.11. Only now it's embodied reality. No longer as a slave. Come on. No longer as a slave. You're doing better. No longer as a slave. But better than a slave. As a dear brother. The foundation for Christian unity is siblingship, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And now Paul is introducing Onesimus to Philemon, not as his slave, but as his brother. And what is this going to do to mealtime habits? What is this going to do to work ethic? 
What's this going to do to Philemon's power? He is very dear to me. And even dearer to you. That's a stretch. (laughs) Both as a fellow man, as a brother in the Lord. Now listen to this logic. So if you consider me a partner, remember partnership? This is the Greek word for fellowship, koinonos. So if you consider me in the fellowship of the Spirit as siblings in Christ, welcome him as you would welcome me. That is sharing power right here. He's me. Paul thinks Onesimus, Onesima, represents Paul on this stage in this house in an embodied relationship with Philemon. If he has done you any wrong, which is typical for runaway slaves, to steal things so they have provisions for their trip, if he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Now, where'd Paul get money? From churches. Now, Paul is creating an IOU in his writing. Paul does not write his letters. His handwriting is so ugly, he doesn't write. But now he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. So now he's writing this so it's an IOU. It becomes a legal obligation of Paul to pay. I will pay it back. Now, here's a zinger. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Remember how you refreshed everybody else's hearts? How about mine? Which means, do what I say. And this is the end zinger. Confident of your obedience. Remember he gave up the commandment? Now it's a, you know, obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. (laughs) And one more thing before he finishes this letter. Prepare a guest room for me (laughs) because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers for me to be released from prison. (laughs) And when I get there, I'm going to check up on how Onesimus is doing. And that's the first person I'm talking to when I get there. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, the gospel writer, Aristarchus, Demas, who left for Thessaloniki, and Luke, a gospel writer, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So everything depends on how Philemon responds to Onesimus. What power will you use? Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.